Harmonia, the ancient word for the union of melody and harmony and the music of the spheres. I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join me for the next hour as today's performers of medieval, renaissance, and baroque music bring to life the music of the distant past. Psalm settings, fiddle tunes, shape note hymns, ballads that tell of everything from murder and mayhem to home and true love. What do these all have in common? You might have heard any or all of them in the homes, churches, taverns, and theaters of the North American colonies around the time of the American Revolution and the period just following. This hour, music from colonial America. take a quick look back in time in the Harmonia time capsule. We spun the wheel and it landed on 1789, a year of news and a year to remember. 1789 was a year of beginnings. The French Revolution starts when the convocation of the Estates General could not come to a solution to solve the country's financial problems. George Washington is sworn in as the United States first president and the new constitution takes over for the Articles of Confederation that had controlled American politics until then. Throughout the 18th century, Irish and Scottish settlers ventured to America in large numbers. These often poor settlers were among the largest group to settle in the Appalachian Mountains. Their folk tunes and ballads became the basis for country music, bluegrass, blues, and jazz music today. One instrument that increased in popularity during this time was the banjo. Similar to various instruments in Africa, enslaved Africans in colonial America fashioned the early banjo by attaching a neck to a hollowed gourd and stretching animal hide over the open hole. Religion was an important aspect of colonial life, but due to a high illiteracy rate, many could not participate fully in music or worship. While some churches used shape notes as a musical teaching tool, others used the technique called lining out. In this tradition, a leader would sing a line of a hymn, suggesting the words and the tune that the congregation should sing back. In other musical news of 1789, Beethoven was just getting his feet wet in the area of composing and completed his two preludes through all 12 major keys for piano. Mozart had a busy year. He wrote a clarinet quartet in 1789, and his opera Le Nozze di Figaro premiered in Vienna. No doubt he was also busy with Così Fan Tutte since it premiered the following year. And Joseph Haydn completed his Oxford Symphony, which would be performed two years later in celebration of his honorary doctorate conferred by Oxford University. This has been a glimpse back in time to the year 1789. I'm Angela Mariani. More about George Washington, the banjo, and other people, events, and music mentioned in this time capsule can be found online, along with early music t-shirts, totes, and books in our gift store, harmoniaearlymusic.org slash shop.
Imagine yourself in New England at around the time of the American Revolution. Now, put yourself in class at one of the popular singing schools that flourished at that time. You're there to learn how to read your notes, sing in tune, and do choral singing. Now imagine that the singing schoolmaster has arrived. Though relatively young, he's a formidable character, blind in one eye, with one leg shorter than the other, and a withered arm. To top it off, he has a bit of an unkept appearance and what one contemporary referred to as an almost incredible propensity for taking snuff. His booming bass voice roars out into the room and the singing begins, led by the most famous early American composer, William Billings. Shiloh, a hymn by William Billings, performed by Theatre of Voices under the direction of Paul Hillier. William Billings is by far the most well-known of all the early American composers, born October 7, 1746, in Boston, Massachusetts. He had no formal music education and was a tanner by trade, but he was involved with music all his life, as a singer and as a singing teacher. He was fairly successful at this. In fact, by the time he was 24 years old, he had a book of music published which was called The New England Psalm Singer. This book has the distinction of being the first publication of entirely American music. The first tune in the book was called Wake Every Breath. The tune was also engraved on the cover by a friend of Billings named Paul Revere.
music of American composer William Billings. We began with Wake Every Breath, sung by the William Appling Singers and Orchestra. Then we heard a setting of words by Isaac Watts, who wrote many well-known early American hymn texts. That particular hymn is known by the name Africa. Since the text has nothing to do with Africa, that may seem strange, but if you're a person who attends a church where hymns are sung, you may have noticed that hymns are sometimes identified in hymn book indexes by the first line and by titles such as Old Hundredth or Moscow. These words are nicknames for the tunes that often carry some association with the composer or an event. Hymns are identified by both the first lines of their texts and by the names of their melodies, because hymn texts are often mixed and matched with different hymn tunes. William Billings was about 30 years old when the American Revolution began, and there was no question where his sympathies lay in that conflict. Along with his friends Samuel Adams and Paul Revere, he fell most decidedly into the Patriot camp. Some of his hymns, in fact, became veritable Patriot anthems. One of the most famous is the tune known as Chester, Chester, also known as Let Tyrants Shake Their Iron Rod, an American revolutionary anthem by William Billings, sung there by the Chicago-based ensemble His Majesty's Clarks, now known as Bella Voce, directed on this recording by Paul Hillier. <laughs> ¶¶ 
We're exploring different music from colonial America this week. We've just taken a lesson from the singing school master William Billings. Now let's move on to something you may have heard in the local watering hole.
Bobbing Joe Medley, played by Hesperus, from their CD, Early American Roots. Before that, a set of two tunes, Belial's March and Wheels of the World, played by the Massachusetts-based duo Poor Richard's Penny, Kevin Skorupa playing Penny Whistle there, and Larry Young playing violin. Bobbing Joe and Wheels of the World are both from collections of music published in England by John Playford in the 17th century. These dances and tunes were not only popular for decades in the British Isles, but they were well known in the American colonies, too, where they would be played alongside newly composed tunes. That's true of ballads as well. Songs brought over from Europe would reappear in the Americas, sometimes gaining some new lyrics along the way. That was especially true in areas like Appalachia, where many Scots-Irish folks settled. Here's an example. There must be dozens of old English ballads about the character of Gypsy Davy. Invariably, he steals the heart of a rich noblewoman who dumps husband and family and runs off to live in the woods with the gypsies. But you'll also find some of these ballads in the Appalachian folk tradition, like this one, Gypsum Davy, sung here by Custer LaRue. Squatting, holding, quarrying on his lady. The serving woman answered him, She is gone with the chips and baby. Da 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 da
Gibson Davy from the CD The True Lover's Farewell, Appalachian Folk Ballads by Custer LaRue. You're listening to Harmonia, a program of early music that comes to you from the studios of WFIU at Indiana University. Partial support for Harmonia comes from Penco Incorporated of Bedford, Indiana. Partial support also comes from Early Music America, celebrating 25 years of service to the field of early music, on the web at earlymusic.org. I'm Angela Mariani. On Harmonia this week, we're exploring different musics one might have heard in colonial America. I wonder sometimes how many of us ever make the connection between our world history courses and our music history classes. In the late 1770s, Mozart and Haydn were working in Austria. C.P.E. Bach was still alive, and Beethoven was a little boy. In the colonies, the American Revolution was happening. This is a song called How Stands the Glass Around. The song actually hails from the 1720s, but it's said that during the Revolution, the Continental soldiers sang it after their disappointing defeats and throughout the long, bitter winters in encampments like Valley Forge. That'll be followed by a fiddle tune called Soldier's Joy. Then we'll continue that connection with a hymn found in a collection called The Southern Harmony, with words by Isaac Watts and music by Lucius Chapin. Chapin was a singing school teacher born in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is kind of interesting for me because I was born there, too. Chapin was a fifer in the Revolutionary Army and, in fact, suffered frostbite at Valley Forge. After the war, he moved to Kentucky. How stands the glass around? For shame you take no care, me boys. How stands the glass around? Let wine and mirth abound. The trumpets sound when colors they are flying, boys to hunt, kill or wound. May we still be found content with our hard fate, me boys on the cold ground. Why soldiers? Why? Why so melancholy, boys? Why soldiers? Why? Whose business tis to die? What sign? Why? Damn care, drink round me, jolly boys, tis him, you or I. Cold, hot, wet or dry, we're always.
is bound to fall, the boys we scorn to fly. Tis but in vain, I mean not to upbraid you boys, tis but in vain, for soldiers to complain. Should next campaign send us to him that's made us boys, we're free from pain. But should we remain a bottle and kind landlady, cure all again.
Primrose, an early American hymn by Isaac Watts and Lucius Chapin, sung by the Tudor Choir, from their CD, The Shape Note Album. Before that, Kevin Skarupa and Larry Young of the duo Poor Richard's Penny played the tune Soldier's Joy and sang the traditional song, How Stands the Glass Around. Country dances were very popular at the time of the American Revolution, and at around the same time, the French, who were allied with the Americans in the war, introduced a type of dance called the cotillion, which is one of the predecessors of our square dance. Here's the group Hesperus, with a set of three tunes from John Carr's first book of cotillions, published in 1801, and that'll be followed by a set of jigs from John Playford's 1690 collection, Apollo's Banquet.
From the CD Early American Roots, Hesperus performed a set of jigs from John Playford's publication Apollo's Banquet. We began with a set of dances called cotillions, brought to the Americas by the French during the Revolutionary War. Keeping with an early American theme, our featured release is Rose of Sharon, 100 Years of American Music, 1770 to 1870, performed by Ensemble Phoenix Munich under the direction of Joel Fredrickson. This recording covers early American music from the country's beginning to Stephen Foster and the Civil War. Joel Fredrickson notes in the recording materials, quote, this program is like an American quilt the individual parts are unique and very different from one another, but it comes together to form one rich tapestry. Here is a sampling. Oh. 
cinema? Where you gonna run to, oh cinema? Where you gonna run to, oh cinema? Where you gonna run to on that day? Run to the moon, oh moon, won't you hide me? Run to the moon, oh moon, won't you hide me? Run to the moon, oh moon, won't you hide me all on that day? The Lord said, oh cinema, the moon will be a bead in the Lord said, oh cinema, the moon will be a bead in the Lord said, oh cinema, the moon will be a bead in the
Early American Music, performed by Ensemble Phoenix Munich, directed by Joel Fredrickson. We heard the Revolutionary War song, He Comes, the Hero Comes, by Henry Carey, William Billings' I Am the Rose of Sharon, and the Appalachian folk song, Sinner Man, all from the 2011 Harmonia Mundi release, Rose of Sharon, 100 Years of American Music. Interested in expanding your own early music collection? On the Harmonia Early Music Podcast, we dig through recently released and classic recordings to bring you the very best from the world of early music. You can subscribe on iTunes or at harmoniaearlymusic.org. Support for Harmonia is made possible in part by the Crystal DeHaan Family Foundation, serving organizations in central Indiana and recognizing the children and families of Crystal House International. Portions of this episode were funded by the E. Nakamichi Foundation and the National Endowment for the Arts. You can purchase Beautiful Baroque, a collection of timeless music performed on period instruments. The CD and MP3 are available along with early music books and gifts and much of the music you hear on this program at harmoniaearlymusic.org shop. Your purchase through our site supports the production of Harmonia. The writers for this edition of Harmonia were Angela Mariani, Anna Pranger, and Luann Johnson, and Time Capsule Research by Lauren George. Thanks to our studio engineer, Mike Pashkash, and our staff, Carrie Boyce, David Wood, Anna Pranger, John Bailey, and Luann Johnson. Additional technical support comes from KOHM at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. Listeners who enjoy Harmonia may also enjoy WFIU's Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz Podcast, available for download at WFIU.org with a click on the podcast button. Harmonia is a production of WFIU and part of the educational mission of Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich is our executive producer, and I'm Angela Mariani, inviting you to join us again for the next edition of Harmonia. Harmonia.